A common scene in technology companies everywhere. Big conference table with the CTO on one end, developer teams on the other, the showdown. We have an idea, will it get funded? More companies are feeling the pressure to go faster and stay ahead of the competition. Projects that have long timelines or no immediate impact are hard to justify. Datastax is sponsoring a contest with real projects, real money, and real CTOs. If you have a Kubernetes project that needs a database, the winner will get funded with a free year of Datastax Astra. Follow the link in the podcast description to submit your project. It's time to impress the CTO and get your project funded. Eyes glazed over from debugging a remote Kubernetes service? Instead, run your service locally in your favorite debugger and instantly find the problem. Ambassador Telepresence is the easiest way to debug microservices on Kubernetes. Spend more time fixing problems instead of reproducing them. Ambassador Telepresence is free to use for teams with unlimited developers. Get started today at getambassador.io slash devdiscuss. Educative.io is a hands-on learning platform for software developers. Learn anything from Rust to system design without the hassle of setup or videos. Text-based courses let you easily skim back and forth like a book, while cloud-based developer environments let you get your hands dirty without fiddling with an IDE. Take your skills to the next level. Visit educative.io slash devdiscuss today to get a free preview and 10% off an annual subscription. Get ready to level up at New Relic's virtual event, FutureStack 2021, held May 25th through the 27th. Join your fellow data nerds from around the world to learn, inspire, and rack up experience in 50 interactive sessions, 12 hands-on labs, and a 24-hour hackathon. FutureStack is your cheat code for observability. Engineers from across the industry will lead you through topics like Kubernetes, DevOps strategies, and observability. Then join us to relax with some Minecraft on Nerd Island. Registration is free at futurestack.com. Game on. One way or another, whatever you learn from that hobby is still going to trace back to your coding at some point. Not everything you do has to be career related. Yeah. It's okay to just go stare at a wall for an hour. <laughs> Welcome to Dev Discuss, the show where we cover the burning topics that impact all our lives as developers. I'm Ben Halpern, co-founder of Dev. And I'm Jess Lee, also a co-founder of Dev. Today we're talking about hobbies that either directly or indirectly helped your developer skills. And we're joined by Milisha McGregor, senior UI engineer at Mediavine, and Kayla Sween, a user experience engineer at Dogly. Thank you both so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. So I think this is a topic that is perhaps more important than ever since we're all sort of stuck at home right now. And we invited you both on the show because you've written about how your hobbies have helped you become better developers. So first, let's just talk about how you got into software in the first place. Kayla, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So originally, I actually decided I wanted to go to school for aerospace engineering, but I changed my mind and decided to go into computer science. And so my goal in life was to just stay in academia, but, you know, I started my master's program and uh, got a job and found out that working is a lot more fun than going to school and uh, <laughs> and also getting paid. <laughs> so I dropped out when I was in the master's program. I was really interested in doing UX and accessibility stuff and 
that wasn't the kind of specialization I could get at school at the time. And then so that's led me to here. Cool. There's um, another person on our team that was an aerospace engineer student nice. that is now a developer. Alicia, how about yourself? Actually, I'll join in on the engineer party. <laughs> I did not save that much time. I went and got my bachelor's and master's in mechanical and aerospace engineering. But then I switched to like robotics and AI for my thesis, which led me to get into programming. And then a lot of weird stuff happened. And somehow <laughs> I ended up in web development. That's really cool. I'm still trying to figure out that middle part. <laughs> what kind of work do you do at Mediavine? So right now I'm a senior front-end engineer. So I mainly work with like React apps and oddly WordPress plugins. What about front-end development resonates with you both? For me, I actually just switched over from full stack. I have been doing a little bit of front-end, back-end, DevOps, database, all of it. but JavaScript is like artsy to me because you can make cool things appear on the screen and you can't necessarily do that with data. So that's kind of where I started shifting is just, I don't know, JavaScript's cool and I like to see the stuff that I make. So I got lucky in that my first job was as a front end developer and they kind of put me in charge of becoming their accessibility expert. I just got really lucky. That was how I found front-end development. Was just it was the first thing I tried, and I immediately loved it. So yeah, we're here to talk about hobbies. And Malisha, you wrote a piece on Dev titled "Why It's Important to Have Hobbies Outside of Tech." Would you like to share what some of your hobbies are? I actually practice kung fu. I play the ukulele and the harmonica. I've been attempting to learn how to dance that's not going too well but <laughs> yeah just pretty much if there's a random thing that i can get up and go do i'm probably gonna try it at least once cool that's a really good attitude and why do you think it's particularly important to have hobbies outside of tech the tech culture has this pressure for you to just stay on top of everything whatever new library comes out language to stay ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. So taking some time to do stuff that gets you out of that headspace, it really helps clear up what I'm thinking about, how I'm thinking about things, and actually how I talk to other people, because not everybody is a developer and I had to relearn that. <laughs> so I can't just talk in <laughs> if-then statements. Like, <laughs> I have to use real words now and relearning that is more painful than anything I've had to learn and take. Yeah. From what I've heard, you've also done some uh, car maintenance. And I just want to ask you what that is like, because I changed my first alternator a few Ooh, months ago. That's so cool. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I felt really cool doing it. <laughs> when I was growing up, I used to work on cars with my grandpa. So right now I'm working on rebuilding this 1977 Chevy Monte Carlo and it doesn't have any type of computer components on it and it's just awesome getting out there with a wrench and getting dirty without being in front of a monitor or thinking about code. I'm under this car and I hope the jack doesn't give out. <laughs> well so like while you're under the car do you feel like some of these 
non-developer hobbies have actually helped make you a better developer? I do. It's just sometimes when I get really deep into a bug or something, or I run into a problem, and I've just been working on it for days, and I'm about ready to throw the computer out the window, it gives me a different way to think about bugs. Like, instead of immediately jumping on the Google and diving into Stack Overflow, I'll actually just start taking things apart, kind of like I would with, like, a carburetor or something. It's like, okay, is this pin still there? Is the spring still holding the right tension or whatever? And that weirdly translates to bugs in my mind. Or if I'm playing a ukulele song, maybe it'll help me make sense out of some architectural question I had. I don't know. My brain just kind of jumps all over the place. So I need things to connect it to. Yeah. And I think just getting away from that screen just helps. And Kayla, you wrote a piece entitled Powerlifting Has Made Me a Better Developer. Tell us how you got into powerlifting. I started like just generally weightlifting and stuff probably about five, six years ago, you know, to improve my physique. I wanted to lose a little weight. So about four years into doing that, maybe three or four years into just going to the gym and lifting weights, I started doing this like free kind of intro to powerlifting program, I guess. And I was working out one day and I ran into this guy who was like a middle-aged guy who had competed in powerlifting. He and his wife were working out and uh, I was doing deadlifts that day. And so that guy said, you know, you should consider competing. And I honestly had never thought about it until then. And so went home, did a little research, maybe a couple months later, signed up for my first meet. And uh, here we are. (laughs) Kayla, can you tell the audience what powerlifting actually is? I'm sure there's lots of folks who are not really familiar with the sport. Powerlifting is a competitive sport that's comprised of the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. And so in each of those lifts, you'll have three attempts to lift as much weight as you possibly can. And so at the end of the meet, all of your best lifts in those three will be added together. And that'll be your total at the end. And so the person that has the highest total compared to their weight will be like the winner of the meet. And then there's also winners of each weight class. And I guess I should also compare it like in regards to like weightlifting too, because weightlifting is a separate competitive sport. And that's Powerlifting and weightlifting often get confused. Weightlifting is like you'll do the clean and jerk and the snatch. And so those are both overhead movements. And powerlifting has no overhead movements. Uh, You don't have to be coordinated to do it. You do have to have some level of coordination to do weightlifting, which is why I've been kind of afraid to try it. I have never been athletic at all. And uh, (laughs) I tried a lot of sports growing up and was bad at all of them. So (laughs) finding powerlifting was kind of like, you know, both of my parents grew up as athletes. And so I kind of felt like I needed to to do that, too. And I just wasn't good at any of it. And so finding powerlifting was really like something where I could be like, oh, great. I'm not the black sheep of the family now. (laughs) My parents never treated me like that or anything. That's like how I ended up doing kung fu. That's awesome. Jess, I feel like you got into climbing for a lot of the same reasons. How do you sort of feel about that? Yeah, so climbing was probably the first quote-unquote sport. I mean, I don't even know if people call it a sport, but it's totally athletic. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was like the first thing that I really felt good about. And it got me into like a really good routine of working out because... I like to joke that I'm not a team player um, because <laughs> so many of the team sports involve balls and like 
hitting them and having that type of coordination. And I just love climbing because it's really a lot of problem solving mm -hmm. and you're just using your full body and just lots of body awareness. And I don't know, there's something just also kind of visceral about it because you're like trying to climb to the top of something. So it's very satisfying. It's cool. And Kayla, can you speak a little bit to how powerlifting made you a better developer and just to that importance of having hobbies outside of software? I feel like it's a great hobby for developers to have just because, you know, we're uh, notoriously an inactive bunch of folks. And it's kind of taught me that, you know, some days you're going to have bad days and some days you won't be able to lift as much as you lifted the day before. It's going to get really discouraging as sometimes development gets discouraging. It's good to have like, just to know that, that that aspect's in other areas of life, too, and knowing that you can take a break from that. Like, if you're having a bad day powerlifting, then maybe maybe you didn't recover well enough. Maybe you didn't sleep well enough the night before. Things like that. There's a ton of factors that could that could come into play whenever you're not performing as well as you feel like you should, either at work or in the gym. Yeah, powerlifting is really one of those hobbies where you're taught to weigh yourself against your previous self instead of other people around you, even though it's a competitive sport, yeah. most of the effort is about asking yourself, can I do better than I did yesterday? And not, can I do better than that other person over on that other side of the gym? Because they're <laughs> in a whole different context than you. Yeah. It is nice to win gold medals, but yeah, at the end of the day, <laughs> you are competing against yourself. Like powerlifting is a highly individualized sport. Unless you're competing like in the most elite category of powerlifters, then yeah, your your main focus shouldn't really be to, to win gold at every meet. It should be to do better than you did last time. Sick of your laptop overheating every time you try to run your Kubernetes application locally? With Ambassador Telepresence, you can intercept your services on your local machine so that you can develop on your services as if your laptop was running in the cluster. Never worry about running out of memory again, no matter how complex your Kubernetes application gets. Ambassador Telepresence is free to use for teams with unlimited developers. Get started today at getambassador.io slash devdiscuss. New Relic's application monitoring platform gives you detailed performance metrics for every aspect of your software environment. Manage application performance in real time, troubleshoot problems in your stack, and move beyond traditional monitoring with New Relic 1, your complete software observability solution. Get started for free at developer.newrelic.com. To connect with the team behind New Relic directly, join the Relicans. The Relicans is a new community hub designed to help developers create cool projects, inspire one another, level up, and learn in public. You can start a discussion about your favorite programming language, ask a question about software observability, share a tutorial, and lots more. Join today at therelicans.com. I'm so jealous of your story, Kayla, because I've been really desperate to get into something like powerlifting as a hobby. I actually used to play sports all through college. I played football and weightlifting was a component of that. And I expected that, you know, maybe when I was done playing the sport, I might get into powerlifting. I actually was among the strongest bench press athlete on my team. I actually could bench press 400 pounds in college. Wow. Whoa. And I think it's 
easier said than done sometimes to adopt a hobby, even if you're good at the thing, even if you want to adopt it. I think software can be so all consuming sometimes as a hobby. Like I sort of sometimes Mm -hmm. spend too much hobby time at my computer. I think that's what it really boils down to. And I continue to want to get into powerlifting because I know I I enjoy the activity, not as much as maybe, you know, maybe I, I love the game of football kind of more as my main <laughs> thing. And and the pure weightlifting was kind of a means to that end. But I really loved it. And somehow, you know, it's it's easier said than done to actually get into the uh, the hobby itself and stick to it and keep going back no matter what it is, yeah. whether it's cars or powerlifting. I think like it requires a bit of commitment, but once it clicks, it just becomes such an important part of our lives. So, Ben. Just now you mentioned that you have some like coding projects you do as your hobby. And I think that's worth talking about. You know, if you're coding by day and also coding by night, I think it can be a pretty slippery slope. Have either of you had a side project that was a hobby, but then you, you know, found yourself, quote unquote, working the entire time? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, What are some of those projects? (laughs) So for me, it was like, when I was in my last job, I kind of wanted to transition to a position where I was doing more React stuff. I was an Angular developer previously and kind of wanted to get out of that ecosystem. And so I found myself going to work, doing Angular development all day, coming home, doing React development all night, have a personal website built in React and trying to have some projects in my portfolio so that I could find a new job doing React stuff. And so it got to the point where I was like, I just didn't want to do anything anymore. I didn't want to code anymore, like at all, (laughs) just because I was doing it all the time Mm. and just going too hard in one thing for me has been a proven way to get burned out in it. Definitely. I have a problem with jumping down random rabbit holes. So I wanted to make an air guitar somehow. (laughs) And I found these like EEG sensors and these muscle (laughs) sensors. And then I found myself buying neuroscience books and then (laughs) I looked up and I was really confused and then I just didn't do anything for a few days and that is okay yeah (laughs) it just burns you out after a while any advice for folks who might be in that cycle that you know just people who might need to look for a hobby outside of coding just close the computer and go outside well I mean that's like if you can (laughs) (laughs) Or go look out a window. (laughs) It's just, you know, anything you can think of to do. Like, I mean, video games is a hobby. And like, that's something that a lot of programmers like to do. I'm a gamer, too. And so, you know, just spend some extra time playing some video games. And, you know, just realizing that sometimes you're going to do stuff with your hobby that it may not feel like you're doing anything. It may not feel like you're actually accomplishing anything or getting closer to whatever goal you have for yourself professionally. But one way or another, whatever you learn from that hobby is still going to trace back to your coding at some point. Not everything you do has to be career related. Yeah. It's okay to just go stare at a wall for an hour. <laughs> you don't have to be productive 24-7. Alicia, you mentioned that you were playing ukulele. And I think it's worth noting, at least within my like group of friends, Lots of career transitioners, many of them were musicians first and then ended up learning how to become a software developer. What kind of similarities do you think there are between music and coding? I would say that music 
is a lot like coding because you can make it take pretty much whatever form you want it to. Like I played the ukulele and the harmonica, and when you put those two together, it can make some really cool music in ways you might not expect. Kind of like when you put different libraries or packages together with coding. Sometimes you just get stuff that's better than you expected originally. So I've played saxophone since middle school, and I was in band and marching band and stuff. And so I think that to me, those two are combined because there's a, sometimes you'll you'll have a particularly hard piece of music that either has uh, a lot of runs, so a lot of like up and downs and uh, a lot of things that you'll have to practice over and over and over again just to get right. Some stuff in programming is kind of the same way. It's just you may not be able to get it immediately. You have to just try and try again. But eventually you will, and you'll come out of the end of it better than you were before. I was a piano major in college, and so definitely resonate with the, you know, practicing over and over again, building that <laughs> discipline. Yeah. You know, I think the the frustration I get when I'm like 90% way through a piece and then I press that one note, that like devastation <laughs> is like very similar to when I can't get you know, a test to pass no matter how many ways I do it. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, like those are the moments where you just have to, like, have to walk away from the bench or the keyboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess they're both keyboards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so is coding technically music? <laughs> I mean, if you have a mechanical keyboard, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Ben, what are um, some of your other hobbies outside of coding and uh, weightlifting, powerlifting? Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, well, as I mentioned, I really haven't been able to adopt powerlifting as its own hobby as much as I really want to. Lately, the uh, of course, the pandemic kind of threw that for a loop a little bit, but I, I can't say I was even very consistent before that. And I'd love to actually compete in the sport. I think maybe I'm demotivated by the fact that I am not going to get to my past levels anytime soon, but I, I really know I can get, get over that. But ultimately... Hanging around in nature, hanging around with my dog. I listen to a lot of books, which I think kind of combines those two things. So audiobooks are really probably my my biggest hobby outside of coding right now. I really feel like, you know, I'm the kind of person in this discussion who feels like they have sort of developed this weakness in being able to stick to hobbies. So I can kind of speak to like a lot of different things I've done as hobbies throughout my life, but I feel like being an entrepreneur and a software developer, I, I've had a harder time getting deeper into my hobbies. And, and I think outside of the stuff we do with dev, I think my biggest personal endeavor is just to be better at adopting and sticking to my hobbies. It's easier said than done sometimes to, to disengage. Even this weekend, I sort of tossed together a little website to help my brother out, you know, like just more coding time. It was fun, but I really want to stick to something I'm I'm truly devoted to outside of the, of the software stuff. Can we talk a little bit about how one can seek out hobbies and get into new things? Kayla, do you want to start? I would say that finding new hobbies is just like, you know, of course you can always Google it. <laughs> Programmers are the professional Googlers of our day. <laughs> I found myself doing a lot of the same kind of hobbies that my friends were doing, like at least trying what they were doing. I would go to the gym with a couple of my friends every now and again. And then I just kind of picked it up on my own. 
if you go do something that your friends want to do and then you find yourself wanting to keep doing it, like that's probably a good hobby for you. Malisha? I guess kind of how I find all of my hobbies is if something pops into my head that sounds remotely interesting, I'll just put it on the list. So when I get bored or I run out of stuff that I want to do at the moment, I can just go to that list and be like, huh, this thing still looks cool. So I guess I'll try it out for a while. That's my general approach. Yeah, and for some people who might be afraid of failure like myself, the first time is always going to be the hardest when you're approaching a new endeavor. So I would recommend looking at the hobbies that some of your friends or family have and seeing if they would do it with you because then you have someone there to like help support you and guide you and sort of show you the ropes, especially if it's a hobby that might have some unfamiliar terminology like powerlifting or climbing. Definitely. Jess, how are you feeling these days in your hobby life? Well, I actually picked up a new hobby as of like three days ago. So TBD if it'll stick (laughs) around. So as a kid, I loved playing Chinese chess and I actually prided myself on it because not many like not many girls know how to play Chinese chess. Like they they really culturally view it as like a boys thing. So I, I just loved like even knowing how to play and being somewhat good at it. So I haven't really, uh, you know, stuck to it until we uh, found ourselves in a pandemic and I was really <laughs> bored and I downloaded a Chinese chess app and I've just been super addicted to it in a way that it's never captivated me before. And, and it's definitely the technology element of it. This app allows you to play end games, which might just be a common thing in chess apps, but because I don't play Western chess, I, it was like mind blowing to me. So instead of starting a game from scratch every time with the computer, I can just start with like, what are the last few moves to win the game? And that's basically instant gratification, you know, and like that component is so addictive. I'm actually like trying to do it a little bit less because it, it keeps me in front of the screen for too long, <laughs> yeah. but I've gotten a lot of joy out of it. And I'm confident that beating the last 30 games that I played has contributed to, you know, working those areas in my brain that helped me be a better developer. Chances are... Like other software developers, you learn better by doing than just watching. Unfortunately, most online learning platforms still have you passively sit through videos instead of actually getting your hands dirty. Educative.io is different. Their courses are interactive and hands-on with live coding environments inside your browser so you can practice as you go. They're also text-based, meaning you can skim back and forth like a book to the parts you're interested in. Step up your learning in 2021. Visit educative.io slash devdiscuss today to get a free preview and 10% off of an annual subscription. A common scene in technology companies everywhere. Big conference table with the CTO on one end, developer teams on the other, the showdown. We have an idea, will it get funded? More companies are feeling the pressure to go faster and stay ahead of the competition. Projects that have long timelines or no immediate impact are hard to justify. Datastax is sponsoring a contest with real projects, real money, and real CTOs. If you have a Kubernetes project that needs a database, the winner will get funded with a free year of Datastax Astra. Follow the link in the podcast description to submit your project. 
It's time to impress the CTO and get your project funded. All right, now we're going to move to a segment where we look at responses from you, the audience. The question we asked you all this week was, what are some of your hobbies outside of coding that have directly or indirectly helped your dev work? Our first response is from Gwyneth. Hey, Dev2. My name is Gwyneth, and two hobbies that have helped my dev work are exercising daily, great way to blow off steam and stay fit after sitting in meetings and coding for hours. And the second one is making music. You'd be surprised how many things making music and coding have in common. There's imposter syndrome in both of them. There's professionals of previous generations that make you feel less because you use newer tools or newer technologies. But of course, there's good things like a lot of creativity and a large and great and supportive community. When I make music, it allows me to free up my mind and to stop overthinking. And that's when solutions tend to pop into my head. Anyways, I love the community and I hope you are all staying safe and healthy. Wow, what a great response. That was the best. That was so nice. Yeah, it was. (laughs) It's very on topic. (laughs) All three of us resonate with Gwyneth. (laughs) I love that Gwyneth brought up imposter syndrome. That's a really... Really good point. Yeah. Hobbies are the kind of thing that can train the muscles of imposter syndrome. They sort of put you in these situations that are lower stakes, like it's not your livelihood, but you still have to overcome some of these things. And I think that's a really great point. It's sort of practice for for the things that are, are most important in your life. Definitely. I am a certified powerlifting coach. And so that has been an area where I've been like practicing dealing with imposter syndrome, but not like that's not affecting my livelihood because, you know, there are a ton of people who've been coaching for a lot longer than I have and know a lot more about human anatomy than I do or know a lot more about what strengthens different muscles better and things of that nature. So I can definitely relate to like having a hobby that helps you learn how to deal with imposter syndrome better. Yeah, I imagine that you probably also help coach people who are experiencing imposter syndrome. So you get to see it from both directions. Yeah. Shall we listen to another? Sounds good. So studying history helped a lot, particularly history of programming languages. And I suppose that's how I ended up being a librarian for Hopple.info. Knowing how other people approach programming and the decisions they made and, and what we've ended up with as a result. I think history is one of those disciplines that can apply to really anything. And I think within software, it's such a good way to sort of improve your knowledge in coding. And I really love books that teach about the history of software in any way, but in somewhat less rigid technical terms, like what were the contexts that went into these sort of things. And I I think that like is what speaks to me from that. The first thing I thought was that if you're reading the history of programming languages that that really feels like an extension of work but you know to each their own Mm -hmm. Uh, we also got this fun message of someone playing piano but it could have just been a robot (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i'm on hold (laughs) (laughs) well thank you stranger for serenading us it was pretty it was Nadia wrote in to say that cooking is like making a web app in React. And I think if you think about putting all the ingredients together, putting it in the pot, seeing what you get, I have to say that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I see it. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a lot of stuff you can throw at React. 
So Oleg wrote in, reading books about biology, especially about the human, bonobo, chimpanzee, and other animal behavior and how science explains it. These type of books have helped me change my mind and improve my soft skills and, of course, work more productively with other people. We haven't really talked about the soft skills as much. At least we haven't used that phrase, soft skills, which is you know thrown around quite a bit. But yeah, a lot of our hobbies directly contribute to our soft skills and our ability to work with other people. Yeah, and that's just equally as important as how well you can code, if not more, honestly. Sometimes we really do get lost into in the code to the point that we forget what it's like to talk to people for fun because all we do is code or forget who you're coding for or that absolutely so it just helps to take a step back and talk to people or study the you know human being like oleg does through their hobby of reading books about biology Michael wrote in to say, improv theater has helped me in my professional career as well as my life in general. It teaches you how to get out of your head, have fun, and let yourself fail. Also, a side effect is being more confident speaking in front of people and collaborating in a team. Definitely recommend it. Just remember that improv is a very broad concept and differs from theater to theater, so feel free to explore if you're interested. I think improv is one of those hobbies that's great for folks who are at a loss for hobbies because... It's such a good organized activity. It's fun. It gets you out of the house and really sort of directly teaches you lessons that are pretty applicable for every sort of interpersonal situation. I admire people who can improv (laughs) so much. I think it's crazy. Um, (laughs) I just, you know, don't have that skill to think so quickly on my feet. And I'm always just blown away whenever I see any improv troupe come together Michael brought up a really good point, just letting yourself fail. And I think that's probably one of the things I struggle with the most. I have pretty big fear of failure. Jess, have you ever tried improv? No, I haven't. I'm too scared to. <laughs> I actually, I bought my partner a like 10 class pass to an improv thing. And he said it was the scariest thing he'd ever done. He loved it, but also was like so emotional and vulnerable when he came back and then ended up bailing on all the rest of the classes. Aww. So I think it um, really got into his head. Have either of you tried improv? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, it's easier to give a tech talk than to just get up there and do something. Oh, 100%. So I took a theater class once. And so improv was part of that. And I was terrible at it. Because yeah, like you said, Jess, <laughs> I am not good at thinking on my feet. Like, I'm the kind of person that If I give a talk, I have to practice it like maybe a dozen times beforehand or else I will just start babbling like an absolute fool on stage. And so, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) improv is certainly not my thing. Okay, Valentine wrote in, playing Magic the Gathering is my primary and only networking that I do for my career. In the Seattle area, two nerdy things are big, programming and Magic the Gathering. Doctors and lawyers have the golf course clubhouse. Programmers have their local game store. Smiley emoji. Mm-hmm. You'd be hard-pressed to find a tournament where there isn't someone who works on Amazon, Facebook, Google, or is running a startup. Have any of you played Magic the Gathering? No, but I did play Yu-Gi-Oh! briefly. I have no clue whether or not that's similar <laughs> or not. <laughs> that's kind of a similar, similar vein. So Pokemon cards is a similar kind of game if you played when you were younger at all. <laughs> Yeah, probably when I was like seven or eight, I played Pokemon, but I haven't played Magic the Gathering. 
it sounds like one of those hobbies that people really end up loving and and committing to. I feel like I don't want to use like the word cultish at all, but I just accidentally did. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, kind of like I would imagine it's kind of like D and D, and I have played D and D a lot more than I've played Pokemon. <laughs> I can speak to this. I played D and D enough in college and in junior high. I used to play Warhammer, which is another one of these kind of fantasy games. And Magic: The Gathering is definitely the one that sticks with everybody. And I never really got into it. I played a little bit. But I really always appreciated the more complicated kind of like other sort of games in this in this regard. And but I think that magic is a little easier to play, easier to set up. So like all my friends in any of the games I did play always also played magic. I just never really got into it. And do you want to read off one more? Bugsy says skateboarding, break the code, get up and try again and again and again until you land it. Then go bigger and add to a set of stairs, break your ankle, then do it again. (laughs) That's awesome. I love this analogy. So my partner, who is getting a lot of airtime right now, he is a skateboarder. He actually just made a box with a angle iron or something like that that he can skate in our you know little driveway area during this time. But it's great. Yeah, you really do have to get up and just deal with the failure over and over again, which we uh, have all encountered when we're writing code. Definitely. Mm -hmm. He's also broken his ankle many times, like Bugsy mentioned. Oh, I'm so clumsy. I wouldn't be able to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I used to skateboard and I gave it up because I always got hurt so much and I just couldn't deal with that anymore. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) That's probably why some people eventually give up coding. (laughs) <laughs> they get, they get hurt too many times <laughs> it's too real thank you both so much for being here and talking to us about your hobbies yeah thank you for having me yeah this has been fun I want to thank everyone who sent in responses for all of you listening please be on the lookout for our next question We'd especially love it if you would dial into our Google Voice. The number is international code 1-929-500-1513. Or you can email us a voice memo so we can hear your responses in your own beautiful voices. This show is produced and mixed by Levi Sharp. Editorial oversight by Peter Frank and Saran Yabarik. Our theme song is by Slow Biz. If you have any questions or comments, please email pod at dev.to and make sure to join our DevDiscuss Twitter chats on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. Or if you want to start your own discussion, write a post on Dev using the hashtag Discuss. Please rate and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts.